If you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. As we move on from where we were, James chapter 5. Definitely a message from the Holy God today. James 5 verse 1 through 6 we'll be reading. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted, the moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Not just your promise in so many ways, but your word to speak to us. And I thank you that in every aspect, while it may take a little more seeking of you in some places, in every aspect of your word, there is something for us. It all applies in all our life, including a revelation of yourself. So this day, speak, Lord. Help us to find your application as you, Holy Spirit, break through as only you can do. And we commit ourselves into your hands right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So are you living the good life? Not just is life good, is it going good for you? Do you got good things that you need to do, the good things that you want to do? In fact, some might have it better, even better than that, better than good, so to speak. You, You got all you really need, even more than all you really need. Uh, Truly, maybe just living life, feeling good, uh, almost able to do anything that you want. But is living the good life actually the good life that God wants for us? Based on our passage today, we're going to see that we must grasp the difference between the good life and the God life. And so often times, for some people, it's a big, wide gap between those two. But for others, there's less of that gap, and we miss the difference between a good life and the God life that He wants for us. Now, how do we do that today? Well, begin as we think, and we're going to look at kind of both sides of this, uh, at least one aspect in both sides, and that is... We need to avoid the curses of the good life. And let's be clear at the start. It's not wrong to be rich. There are many important rich people in the Bible. For example, a key, key person, Abraham, 
I mean, he's key uh, out of it as it began in Genesis. He, we read about him later even in Isaiah. He was rich. God blessed, but because God blessed him, God increased what he had. There were others, Isaac, Jacob, Job, David, Solomon, other kings, and even into the New Testament, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew 27 talks of him. Others who would say, who many would say are rich, like Dorcas or Cornelius or Lydia or Jason or Philemon. So it's not wrong. It's not wrong to be rich, but it's not easy to be rich and follow the path that God wants to live a God life versus living the good life. Uh, Jesus said it. Look with me here. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying it's impossible. He's just saying it's difficult. And we've got to recognize that as we begin. And I imagine there are many in church today, churches everywhere, including right here, that when we read verse 1 of James chapter 5, now listen, you rich people, that some are thinking, well, I don't have to listen to today's message. Doesn't apply to me. Don't have to worry about it. You know, that's, that's not me, and I can take a break today, and I don't have to get stepped on in any way. Ah, uh, well, if you live in America, you're blessed. If you live in America, we are blessed and we are richer in available resources than the vast majority of this world. But let's look more closely at what that means as, as James is turning up the heat on the rich here. The people he's describing, now listen, you rich, rich people, the people he's describing are those who are filthy rich. That doesn't mean really, really rich. What that means is how they got dishonestly rich because of the way they got their money and their things, their reliance on themselves and a lack of trust in God to be filthy rich is not just about how you got your money, but it's what you do with it once you've got it. Because we could be in serious trouble, verse 1 is saying, because the misery that is coming upon you. You've got to recognize that there is a sense of curse of this good life. Serious trouble. Misery is coming upon miserable judgment, upon the miserable way that you are using what God is giving you. Some would try to say James is not talking to Christians here. But it doesn't say that he's not. He's been talking to Christians the whole time. Why should we assume it's just unbelievers that struggles with things like this? He's speaking not only to Christians, but to us today. Look at verse 2. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. The problem happens when we hoard wealth, focus on what you've got, and you've got to just go to keep it. You know, it's not just that we're seeking after more is what we've got. We're trying to keep a hold of, to store it, to lay aside for ourselves. And this verse lists the different types of wealth, which rots. You know, it can be that which rots as produce or grain, sword in barns, something that the wealthy would have done in those times, something that wouldn't have lasted long. The next thing listed there is clothes. It would have been costly outfits in those days, part of the treasure, in a sense that it was part of a treasure that, depending on how you dress, showed one's wealth. But more than that, it could even be used as currency in those days to pay for things, clothes. But clothes aren't permanent. 
They weren't permanent. I'm not talking because they go out of style, but because moths eat them in a number of ways. They just end up as dust. In a sense, this whole verse is talking about, if you will, the reverse uh, riches to rag story. You know, we've all heard the rags to riches story, but what James is trying to get at is there is also a riches to rags story. Every person who lives the good life, this will be their story. And when these verses were written, the poor probably had only one cloak, one outer garment. It's kind of like saying you got one shirt and one pair of pants or one dress, so that's it. Even today, people are judged by their clothes they wear, even what they wear to churches, at least some churches. I think we're a little less. I mean, I, I could be wrong. Maybe somebody's getting something, but there are definitely ones I've been at. You know, obviously we should dress modestly. But it's amazing how some churches today can judge people positively or negatively based on how they're dressed. To look down on someone or to look up to someone because of what's on the outside that will just turn to dust. That goes back to James chapter 2, so we're not going to go there, but uh, we might not, and, and I recognize that we might not qualify for an episode of Hoarders, but do we have things that go to waste in our life? You know, is the truth is that most everything that we have will end up a waste. All our valued treasure will turn to trash. Garbage to be thrown out, even gold and silver and money. And some might like justify, well, you know, gold, they got gold in heaven. Yeah, they pay the streets with it. It's really not as important as you might think. This whole valued and holding on to. Verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded your wealth in the last days. Now, when we think about gold and silver corroding, that's not something that we usually think about or have seen. Obviously, we, we know it tarnishes silver. If you've ever had anything that was from great-grandma silver and it was put away and you bring it out, it's like, oh, man, that doesn't look good. It's not silver, is it? And that's what happens. But uh, I think the point is that even our gold and silver that we might expect is going to last forever will not because there is nothing permanent, nothing. In the end, even gold will not just rust, but just like this whole earth will be gone. The wealth that we've hoarded will corrode itself and us. What he's trying to get across here. You have hoarded the wealth in the last days. It will all be destroyed. Along with the person trusting in it. Avoid the curse of the good life. It, it seems likely that it wasn't long after James wrote this letter. That much of Jerusalem. All that they had going on in the good life so to speak. Of those who really were good. And even those who at least had something. All of it was gone, wiped out in A.D. 70. Destructions like this have not just happened then, but they've happened throughout history. How about a different kind, like in 1929? Destruction that happened where people who were 
went to bed rich and woke up totally broke as the stock market crashed in the Great Depression. There's coming an end to this world and all that is in it. Second Peter tells us that's in three. It's all going to be gone in the end. None of this will last. And yet this is the stuff that people long for. And even those who would perhaps legitimately not be living the good life right now, how many are looking to live that good life? Are wanting that? Or wanting, oh, I just want a piece of the good life. We're wanting and seeking after that which will be gone, destroyed. What good is all, if all you've got if it's all gone in the end? As Matthew 16 talks about, Jesus says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can you give in exchange for a soul? You know, we can joke that, that well, I'm just saving stuff around, saving stuff for a rainy day. But what verse 3 is telling us here as you look at it is that ultimately we're saving stuff for a judgment day that will rain down upon everyone. Even for Christians, there will be a fiery judgment. Do we recognize that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, check it out. What will be left? What will, what, what, from that fire, what we have hoarded, what we have kept, what we've held on to, what we've said is important in our life, and we've got, will it all be burned up? What are the treasures that we are seeking after? What are the treasures that we are holding on to, that we don't want to let go of, that we want to make sure are secure? Success at the end of life is not based on how much stuff you have. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Not that anybody has ever had things happen when that happens. That's whole inheritance. You would think this is just something you heard of until, like a pastor, you get to go through unbelievable, I can't even count the number of funerals, right? You know, and the things that happen. In verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is not about what you've got in this life. And, and, and there's many people that get that. Life is not about what you've got in life. And so they're more enlightened than what they like to say. Well, life is about who you got in life. Life is really about our relationships. It's about who you got. But in many ways, it's a way beyond that. It's about who you are in Christ. You see, there's a difference between the good life and a good life, even if it's about the people in your life, than the God life, about Him in our life and how we're living as a living a God life as He would have us live. We know this, and yet as Christians, how many of us, if not in our thinking and our doing, place a priority on things? that will one day be burned up. Even churches can take pride in the size of their and number of their buildings, how many people are in the pews, how much money they got. That can't be... Obviously, it can be a good thing from God. Well, again, we're not putting that down. God blesses and, and He does work, but that's not something to boast about. That's not something to trust in. 
That is a definition of worldly success. Good churches are not based on what you got any more than good Christians are based on what they got. It's not about that. What is the Bible's measure of success? Are we chasing after things that will not matter in eternity? Are we building a bunch of little my kingdoms or building thy kingdom? Where we at? Are, are we at a place where we really don't have to trust God? Things are going good. Ultimately, too often, we're living the good life. There's some question about whether we're really turning and trusting in God. When things are bad, when things are struggling, when you need something, okay, then we turn to trust it. But when things are going good, are we truly trusting in God? I, I'm not saying that we're even living in greed, but what about our need? When we've got riches, when we've got money, when we've got possessions, when we've got things taken care of for the most part in our life, we don't really have to rely and trust on God unless we choose to intentionally first timothy chapter 6 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment in in james chapter 5 in verse 5 here you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. It's not just lifestyles of the rich and famous. These are things, there are things that we might call necessities that others would call luxuries. You know, because in verse 5, we say, well, that's not us. We don't have any luxuries. By whose definition? By whose definition? I mean, think about what parent, and it probably is somebody, but I have never talked to them yet. What parent hasn't had some kid tell them, I've got to have this. I really need this item. Please uh, get, get me this. Get, get, get me that, you know, a clothes or shoes or toys, a game or tech, something. Just whatever it is. And, and, and parents are, are thinking, you don't need this. You don't need this. In fact, probably three days from now, you're going to get bored with it. It's not a need. That's a luxury. That is something beyond that. And we try to get through. But we were once kids. In fact, sometimes we want to go back and say, oh, I remember the days when our kids were just happy to play with the box that the stuff came in. You know, what, what happened to those days? Those good old days turned into trying to live the good life. Have we thought about something that we don't need? Have, have we ever bought something that we don't need? Something that we don't really use? That's an extra. That's a luxury. In fact, most people in the world would say that our luxuries are things like having a vehicle. Do you have a vehicle? Do you have a TV? Do you have a cell phone? Do you have electricity? Do you have running water? In fact, do you have drinkable water? Even more than that, do you have at least some food, whether you like it or not, at least some food that you can eat every day 
for the vast majority of people in the world, those are all luxuries. We are wealthy. And oftentimes we don't think of ourselves in living in luxury because we are comparing ourselves to the extravagant, over-the-top people that are part of the top 0.1% of the world. That's who we're comparing ourselves with. When the truth is, when we compare ourselves with the rest of the world, at least stats from a few years ago, even a family of four at poverty level here in the United States is in the top 2.17% of the world's wealthiest. Even poverty level, family of four, is at the top 2%, top 2.17% of the world's wealthiest. It's unfortunate that we're so focused on what we don't have than what we do have, which what most of the world does not. Most live on a dollar a day. James warns people, you may be living in plenty now, but you will eventually be living in misery, so wake up. Because it's focusing on self and what you want and what you have to get is just fattening yourself up. Verse 5, as you lived in self, uh, earth and luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. It's like the turkey on the farm, eating up all he wants, you know, living it up the good life. All for Thanksgiving Day slaughter. There's a danger of destruction that James is writing to warn us about. Don't sit back and say, well, I, you, know, I, you know, I'd like to at least see what it's like to be rich. You know, that's to have more money. I, you know, to have more money than I know what to do with. Wouldn't that be nice just to have that kind of stuff? You know, many lottery winners' dreams have turned into nightmares. Nightmares. James is warning the curse of the good life. And if you're there, get out before it's too late. Encouragement for those Christians who are doing without seemingly seeing the wicked prosper and eventually knowing that he's saying, listen, it all comes to an end. We need to keep in mind we've got little or a lot. There's a principles in the word of God that we need to watch out for. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 6, sorry, Verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> There'll be a couple screens here. When the, world your, when the Lord your God brings you to the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with a large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We read something similar in Deuteronomy 8 as well. That basically says, listen, when you are living the good life, don't forget the Lord and all that he has done or you will be undone. Deuteronomy 8 makes it even more clear. Yeah. Don't forget what the Lord's done or you're going to be undone. It's going to be over. The good life will not be so good anymore. Verse 4, God hears the cry. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen and mowed the fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvest has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He hears that and it's going to come back around. You need to realize 
the Lord, and, and who hears this? It says, this is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of armies, literally is coming to set things right. Not just about sin and all the other stuff we're talking about. I mean, this is sin, but coming to set things right of the way those rich have come against these. Those who are living the good life versus those who are living the God life. We will reap what we sow. Which is why it's time to turn the good life around and start living the God life. And we do that to embrace the blessing of the God life. We need to embrace the blessing of the God life. And remember, there's nothing wrong in and of itself of having or spending money even on fancy coffee. Even though I think Christians shouldn't be drinking that stuff. But uh, but what's our attitude? Is it selfish or self-focused? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing God and bringing about his kingdom as good stewards? Are we pursuing more and more stuff that's here? Are we in pursuit of a holiness through giving away more of our life? Or are we pursuing a happiness that's about getting the most in our life? Which is it? And it can't be D, all of the above. It doesn't work that way. And verse 5 says, part of what the problem is, you've lived on earth. That's the way it starts, verse 5. You have lived on earth. It's kind of a strange phrase, but that's really the problem. Instead of our head and our hearts being in heaven, we have lived here on earth for what happens and what we can get here, for what is going on around here, right here, focusing on this life, either getting more or trying to keep what we've got when, when is enough enough. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Just learn to be content. How many of us honestly and say, not that we've experienced that, but we live a contented life no matter what? By the way, this is Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Who knows what Philippians 4, 13 is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here again, and I've brought it up before throughout James, context being key. We take that verse, and I'm not saying that it doesn't have the principal meaning that can be applied in a number of different areas, but we do not so many times apply the verses as they actually are in context within the Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is related to living a life that is content in Christ. This past year, there's been a lot of discontent. Would you agree? 
Here's a good thing, though. This past year as well, there have been many who have reevaluated what's important in life. There are many who have said, here's what really matters. Although some of those have looked more inward than they have upward. Instead of embracing the blessings of the God life. You see, there is a different way. In Matthew chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thief breaks in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not where your heart is, there's your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And while we can't take it with us, we can send it on ahead in a sense, I guess. By what we give here. Instead of the rich in James chapter 5 who did not give out of their excess to help those in need, there was probably, just like there is today, a few who were caring for others, but for the most part, it wasn't these guys. It wasn't their problem It's the people's problems. It's not my responsibility. They're probably to blame for themselves. You know, these people that don't have and all the problems they're going through, it's, it's the problems they did on themselves. They just need to pull themselves up by their own sandals. Back in those days, now we tell them to pull up by their own bootstraps, right? By their own sandal straps, just need to just do that. Why they need to start their own successful business where they can be their own boss. Really, I'm not sure that we've actually thought through that simple soundbite completely. We can end up sounding like Ebenezer Scrooge. Not wanting to give because, well, isn't that what we've got poor houses for? And if people die... It decreases a surplus population. Yet God has a very different attitude. Even as deals between us with our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The first and greatest command, love God. And the second is this, to love others. Ultimately, it's not about what we've got. It's about get it's and it's not about getting more it's about the blessing of the god life that comes down to giving more not receiving a blessing but being a blessing verse four that it talks here about the workers who weren't getting paid at the end of the day for the, the, those who mowed their field and and the others who did that thing they were either not getting paid or they weren't getting paid fairly uh, not sure whichever, but it, it just meant that their families went hungry that day because of dishonest, because of the cheating, because of the selfish, ungodly bosses who were already rich and had more than they could use, but they kept acquiring more at the expense of others. Again, we've already talked about it. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong for God to bless. But what have, how have you gotten there? What are you doing with what God's given Because some are just concerned about greed, not the need. Concerned about what they can keep, not what they can give. They don't mind who they can step on to get what they want. In fact, verse 6, 
you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, that seems a little strange that there in that moment, what they've done even that. And, and perhaps they have, perhaps as well, a, a reference back to chapter 2, verse 6. And if you remember us talking about that, where the rich drag the poor into courts. And what happens? You drag them into court. They weren't murdered indirectly, but because you put them in jail, everything they had was sold. And while they're in jail, guess what? They couldn't work and they don't get out until they paid. So they stay in jail and so they couldn't work. So their family starved and eventually died and they as well eventually died in jail. Defenseless against the rich who are trying to keep what they'd already gotten and get more. Are we concerned about ourselves or about others? Did God bless us so that we can live a good life or does he bless us to be a blessing? There are many who like to quote Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God shall meet, or some of you may think of it, my God shall supply, right? All your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But is this verse just a name it and claim it kind of thing? That God will help us, whatever we need to get. Now, obviously God will, but I think we're missing a point here. Once again, we're missing the context. We're missing what is surrounding this verse that we quote so often without thinking through what are the verses right before it. Let's take a look at those in verses 15 through 18. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. Even that, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid once more when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts or I desire more to be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. Verse 18 ends there and then comes. Oh, I didn't go forward. Sorry, guys. Verse 18 comes and then right here. They are fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Then and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's the context? Paul is saying to some to people who were giving to him sacrificially out when nobody else even was, people who were giving, people who were living the God life that gave, not about receiving. Paul was saying to those who were living that God life, my God will meet all your needs, your needs. It's not just everybody and anything and you do whatever you want. And you just get to name it and claim it and you get to be rich. That's the good life, not the God life. God would provide as they provided for others. We give by giving to God our tithes, our offerings. Malachi 3 talks about that. It shows that we're trusting God, that we're recognizing he's the owner of all things, that we surrender to him as well. I mean, they were given to Paul, but he's saying that was a sacrificial gift to God. It shows that we're 
surrendered to him as we bless God and bless those in need around us. So ultimately, are you living the good life or living the God life? What are you doing with what you've been given? Recognizing that everything comes from God. I think about the parable of the the good steward, the parable of the of the talents. Are you with me? And you think about that parable. The master gave different amounts to different ones who were in that parable. In fact, as we read that, what happens, the one who was not a good steward was what? The one who kept. Not the one who lost it, the one who was careless, one who spent it. The one who kept safe, wrapped it up, buried it. He didn't use it. He didn't lose it. Except that when the master came back to judge what each had done with what he had given them, it didn't go so well for that steward who did nothing with what he had been given. He lost it all. The one who is the good steward of God has given him what God has given him uses it to be about the master's business, to make gains for him, to live a God life that gives. Worship team, come, let's pray together. Lord, we pray right now that you'd help us to, to know where we're at in this, what areas of our life, even as you, uh, I trust that you've been speaking to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to have put up a block in our mind that somehow Hey, we're not rich. We don't have much. We, in fact, there's, it's a struggle at times. Lord, help us to be able to break down those walls of excuses, those walls of what we don't have, meaning that we're therefore not compared to so many others. But it's not just what we have or don't have. It's our motives. It's our heart. It's what we're looking for, what we're living for. To live a, a God life that chooses to be a blessing, to bless with all that you've given. Knowing that you will supply all our needs. That we would not be listed among those who, when that day comes, will be destroyed when all things are destroyed. Lord, help us in this to make decisions to be different in what we do and how we think, even this day in Jesus. Thank you.